spread of now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the Union Naval. That's to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome aboard, everybody. Welcome aboard. I'm ever yours, Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your virgin voyage, allow me to share with you our mantra. Folks, we want the Republicans out of our bedroom, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. We feel there exists this cavernous gap separating the two orthodoxies and that it's a gap comprised of many degreed thinking people who can argue quite passionately in shades of gray. And to that end, each and every show we have fine guests to help best illustrate this point. Today is no exception. Also, if you wish to hook up with us on the web, it's www.alannathan.com. Don't forget that email address, alan at alannathan.com. That's A-L-A-N. Coming at you live and strong each and every Monday through Friday at this time. Don't forget the classic Alan Nathan show, Saturday, 6 to 7 p.m. And overnight Sunday mornings, 3 to 4, all times Eastern. We are indeed a Main Street Radio Network production. Please check us out at MainStreetRadioNetwork.com. Feel free to avail yourselves of our nascent but always robust Twitter and Facebook options that we have there for you. And, of course, with great dispatch and alacrity, we love to thank our distributor, the Salem Radio Network. That's right. The Alan Nathan Show is entering its 25th year of national syndication, all thanks to you, reaching about 800 towns and cities across a couple of hundred radio station broadcasts each week. Again, all thanks to you. And, by the way, I don't care if you're part of the authoritarian left or perpetually clueless right. Please get out of the thought control business. Our topics du jour, as you may have heard, well, Twitter Files reporters Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger handily neutralized Democrats clumsily trying to vilify their witness testimony that exposed left-wing government censorship during the latest House subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government. Ouch. I mean, they really did a very good job of comporting themselves. I mean, the left were looking like flailing idiots. I mean, here they are standing up for the attack of the First Amendment. And they're characterizing uh, government accountability as somehow being more inappropriate than government's shirking of it. It was really a twisted display. Before I get to my uh, illustrious guest, let me go ahead and share with you just a little bit of this. First, this was uh, between a, a Republican uh, con congressional leader and um, Matt Taibbi, just to set the stage. And then after that, we'll play one of the bizarre um, counteracting voices heard from the Democrats. Uh, but first, we have Congresswoman Maxine Hegman, a Republican out of the great state of Wyoming, uh, asking journalist Matt Taibbi, who, by the way, was a former writer with the Rolling Stone, and, and Schellenberger is also no friend to the right. These guys are best-selling authors, uh, award-winning journalists, two people who were once embraced by the left, but now because they have the temerity to practice actual journalism, which by virtue of doing so will on occasion mean that the left are also you know, exposed for when they do wrong because of these developments, uh, the left just wanted to characterize them as 
agents of horror and evil. <laughs> just too comical. But anyway, just to set it up, uh, Congresswoman uh, Hagman, uh, Republican out of Wyoming, asking Mike Ta- uh, Matt Taibbi, how many FBI requests to Twitter for censorship uh, were actually based on tweet violations uh, versus anything having to do with the law? And doesn't this sort of expose a censorial posture on the part of the federal government? Uh, clip two, James, if you please. What was the approximate percentage of the FBI requests to Twitter being based on the justification that the tweet violated the company's terms of service? That was a standard disclosure or a standard disclaimer in almost all the communications from the FBI to Twitter. What do you make of the finding that the FBI found it its responsibility to police violation of a private company's terms of service as a priority over policing violations of U.S. federal law? There, there were a couple of very telling emails that we published. Uh, one was by the, uh, a lawyer named Sasha Cardiel, where the company was being so overwhelmed by requests from the FBI. And in fact, they gave each other a sort of digital high five after one batch, saying that was a monumental undertaking to clear all of these. But she noted that, that she believed that, that the FBI was essentially creating, doing word searches keyed to Twitter's terms of service looking for violations of terms of service, specifically so that they could make recommendations along those lines. Man, oh man, I'll tell you, wokeism is really having its grip. It really is having its grip. And uh, it's so strange to see it unfolding as it has. But there is a relationship between the federal government and certain private enterprises uh, to ensure censorship of views not commensurate with the left's preference. Um, and we'll get into that in just a bit, but we have assisting in the opining and analyzing. Offer to the show, Larry Clayman, founder and former chairman of Judicial Watch. He's also current chairman of Freedom Watch. His latest book is a highly praised work entitled It Takes a Counter-Revolution, Wake Up America. Larry, good to have you back. How are you today? The same, Alan. I want to ask you a question, sure. <clears throat> if I may. Go ahead. Why the right conservatives, we don't ever use terms really that get to the point, very rarely. Why do we use the word woke? And why do we call the left progressives? I don't understand that. You know, it's it's not woke. It's leftist. That's what it is. It's all leftist. I don't know what woke means. Well, woke is... Uh, I mean, I know what it means. Yeah, yeah. well, it, it, it essentially means that you are you are alert to what they believe to be the more enlightened perspective of the universe. I mean, that's, that's right. all it is. It's, it's I'm not a, criticizing you because yeah. you didn't coin it. But what I'm saying is we need to start using terms that actually express what we're dealing with here. We're dealing here with the left, and the left wants to destroy any concept of individual liberty. They want total control, whether it's through corporations, whether it's through the government. They don't generally believe in God. That becomes their government is God. And I think we need to start explaining it better to people because I don't think people know what woke really means. Well, I think, fortunately, uh, woke is going to be eventually put to sleep. Okay, <laughs> I think, I think uh, that, that that is going to happen, and, and I'm very confident of it as well. Um, because their inverted burden of proof structure in all arguments, Larry, is categorically unsustainable. I mean, there's a limit to how long folks can take seriously assertions endlessly predicated on what really are just other assertions with only shaming tactics used as the validation. You know what I mean? Most people will catch on to the differences between a genuine premise and the woke pretext pretending to be one. You see, 
wokeism does this. They what they'll do is they'll the, the woke left will employ a guilt tactic using secondary measures of allegedly more important morals for the purpose of supplanting the primary moral measure of our right to choose for ourselves that which we find most acceptable. And unfortunately, that formula is perfect for those who want to be manipulative authoritarians. By such a formula, actually, these manipulative authoritarians can always find a way to try to remove our free will. Don't forget, we were warned about this in Aesop's fable. You know what he said? A tyrant will always find a pretext for his tyranny. He was as uh, right then as, he, uh, as his words are today. No, you're right. And there's another book that people should read, and that's Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. And this is exactly where we are today, but it's even worse, where there's total control over people. They can't express themselves what they feel. And also, I would, I would say there's an analogy to the Third Reich. Because these companies are bending over to those who they believe will feather their nest, just like the industrialists and others in Germany did to Adolf Hitler. And that may sound extreme, but I don't think it is extreme because these government entities, you know, give out a lot of money. There's a lot of largesse that gets there, bribery, whatever you want to call it. And they don't really have an ideology. They just want money. And that's, in fact, what Hitler was doing. He was feeding the German war machine with, you know, BMW, with Mercedes, <clears throat> with a Deutsche Bank that actually constructed the concentration camps, Deutsche Bank. So I hope I'm not taking the show in another direction, <clears throat> but I get really upset, like you, to see this total control over people's lives. Oh, no, lives. no, they're very, very, they're very Nazi-like. I mean, they are essentially against free speech. They are, and then they'll demonize those who expose their violations of the First Amendment because they know at this juncture in their authoritarian plans, it's not handy to have people see them as violating the First Amendment. They still want to hold on to the trappings of what endeared so many Americans to, let's say, the more traditional Democrats who at one time were big on free speech, big on government accountability, but now they want to hold on to the trappings of officialdom in government as a way to further their agenda. Uh, so they're straddling the fence right now, and they're getting some groin pain out of it, uh, especially when looking at how they're twisting themselves in knots, trying to somehow characterize accountability as, again, more inappropriate than they're shirking of it. Uh, Larry, if you can, buddy, hang on the line for just a minute. Folks, you're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. Going to be right back. This message is provided by Beringer Ingelheim. Idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, or IPF, is one of the more common forms of progressive fibrosing interstitial lung diseases with symptoms including breathlessness during activity, a dry and persistent cough, chest discomfort, fatigue, and weakness. There are more than 200 lung disorders that can lead to pulmonary fibrosis, an irreversible scarring of lungs that can negatively impact lung function, quality of life, and may become life-threatening. While approved treatments for people living with these diseases can help slow disease progression, new therapies are needed to help potentially stop progression. Fortunately, there is new research underway to assess the safety and efficacy of an investigational treatment in patients with IPF and other progressive ILDs. This is part of Beringer Ingelheim's Phase 3 global 
Global Fibronear Program. To learn more about Fibronear and eligibility requirements, visit fibronear-ipf.longboat.com and fibronear-ild.longboat.com. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to skill 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times when we were more active and ate more healthy foods and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart and don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. For help keeping yours at a healthy range, text PRESSURE to 97779. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time Ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at PVA.org. I'm not exaggerating when when I say that you have called before you two witnesses who pose a direct threat to people who oppose them. It's funny when people have to go through that. Exactly. This is unacceptable. I'm ready for it. I don't know if a lot of other people are. But just as it was unacceptable for Kevin McCarthy to provide 41,000 hours of sensitive security footage to a biased talking head in an effort to rewrite what happened on January 6th. 
This is a new Republican playbook, apparently. Mr. Risk Chairman, American safety Chairman, and security on, to score political points. The gentlelady's we, word should be struck. We do not accuse witnesses of threatening others. That is out of line and I'm outside the rules of this down committee. That, and I can have an you don't get to determine what's what struck down. <laughs> that was, uh, every year is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. And what had happened here was you had Twitter files, reporters uh, Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger, uh, you know, being attacked by Democrats on the uh, House subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government because uh, both Taibbi and Schellenberger had the unmitigated goal, audacity, lack of fortitude, temerity, if you will, to actually uh, report on files at Twitter exposing government working hand-in-hand with private entities to censor Americans on everything ranging from COVID protocols to the Hunter Biden laptop story, but essentially illustrating in report after report after report after report that government has indeed been in the business of censoring you and me. This is no longer up for debate. It happened. Okay, very specifically, you have the uh, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure uh, Agency. It's a component of uh, the Department of Homeland Security. But, yeah, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, if you will, uh, have been working hand-in-hand with the Election Integrity Project, which is, in fact, a civilian organization outside of government, but, again, working with government. They've got four entities uh, working with them, everybody from the uh, Stanford uh, Internet uh, Observatory to the University of Washington's uh, patronizingly labeled Center for an Informed Public. You've got the Atlantic Council's uh, Digital Forensic uh, Research Lab and, of course, Grapica, which is this uh, social media analytics firm, all of them working hand-in-hand with government to assist them in quashing views not to their liking. And you've got the Democrats right now on a subcommittee characterizing such accountability as, again, somehow being more inappropriate than the government's shirking of that accountability. We have assisting in the opining and analyzing none other than Larry Clayman, founder and former chairman of Judicial Watch. He's also current chairman of Freedom Watch. His latest book is the highly praised work entitled It Takes Account of Revolution, Wake Up America. Larry, appreciate you sticking around. Thanks so much. You're welcome, Alan. Sorry my phone died for the second segment. And I'm back. I'm well, back. I'm, good, I'm good, to have, good to have you. We were able to uh, essentially share. If you missed it, we have shared a clip of Representative Stacey Plaskett accusing the two journalists uh, appearing uh, on Capitol Hill. Uh, these were journalists who were responsible for publishing many of the Twitter files uh, and she accused them of uh, being threats to anyone that opposed them. Uh, she was not able to tether her assertion to any measurable standard of accountability and dialogue and debate. She was incapable of linking that claim with its required foundational merit. Uh, since you missed it, and I know the audience won't mind hearing, hearing it again, let's have Larry get a chance to uh, become more privy to this exchange. Uh, James Clip 3, again, this is Representative Stacy Plaskett, uh, Democrat out of the Virgin Islands, in just such a snit, she just can't stand that her party's being exposed. Clip three, James, if you please. I'm not exaggerating when, when I say that you have called before you two witnesses 
who pose a direct threat to people who oppose them. It's funny when people have to go through that. Exactly. This is unacceptable. I'm ready for it. I don't know if a lot of other people are. But just as it was unacceptable for Kevin McCarthy to provide 41,000 hours of sensitive security footage to a biased talking head in an effort to rewrite what happened on January 6th. This is a new Republican playbook, apparently. Mr. Risk Chairman. American safety and security to on. score political points. The gentlelady's we, words should be struck. We do not accuse witnesses of threatening others. That is out of line and I'm outside the rules of this down committee. That, and I can have an you don't get to determine what's what struck down. That's right, lady. You don't get to determine what's struck down. Uh, anyway, she, she watched her party's collective backside get spanked uh, by these uh, uh, reporters. Again, one of whom, Max Haibi, the guy's originally with the Rolling Stones. Okay, this is not a, a right winger here. Neither is Schellenberger. These are award-winning journalists who have sway with the American people because they remember what objective journalism is all about. Larry Klayman. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of interesting things in that statement, but this is the total indignation of the left when they're called on the carpet. But the whole thing about the, the uh, video, the hours of video showing, for instance, the QAnon shaman being peaceful gets nearly four years in prison, that kind of thing. It reminds me of when I uh, represented Clive and Bundy, and I still do, when the government lied about what was going on and hid evidence, exculpatory evidence, and actually lied to the judge and then lied to the Ninth Circuit. Now, we ultimately won that case. But when the government does stuff like this, this is the worst of the worst, Alan. Uh, this is a call to peaceful and legal arms. And if we're not successful in what you and I do, it's going to get a lot worse because, you know, this kind of conduct where congressmen and, and others cover up the, the deceit, the lying. Only 6% of the American people now believe anything the government says. That's where we are. This woman is despicable. She should be thrown in prison. Well, it, it, it's, it's what they do when they're caught. They characterize getting caught as somehow being a, a worse thing than the thing they were caught doing. I mean, the woke infiltrating government to censor dissent through big tech allies, I think it, it screams a valid question, Larry. I mean, given that the Constitution only permits the American people to use the Second Amendment option against the tyrannical government, you know, to ensure what's necessary to the security of a free state, how much more tyrannical does the DOJ and the FBI have to become before that might happen, Larry Klayman? Well, I don't know. I mean, certainly it's a lot worse than it was with King George III in 1776. As you know, we had our Third Continental Congress. You participated in it. King George III, as I've said before, was Mother Teresa compared to these people. And he had an excuse. At least have. he was, he, yeah, but he was, he was afflicted with prophyria. You know, <laughs> he had an out clause. You know, history could cut him some slack. Okay, the guy was off his rocker. All right, these yeah, well, people I are guess, supposedly sane. Well, I guess that will ultimately be Joe Biden's defense as well, that he didn't know <laughs> what he was doing. But, but I'll tell you something. If the government under King George III had the powers that it has today with mass surveillance, with a Gestapo of an FBI, with you name it. Our founding fathers never would have made it to Philadelphia to declare independence on July 4, 1776. They've been arrested. They would have been executed on the spot. I see what you're saying. This is one of the reasons why I'm comforted by our Second Amendment option. It is a legitimate one. It's protected 
It's a protection we have in the Constitution. When aggregate government disconnects itself from the very laws it requires the rest of us to follow, that's tyranny, and we've never needed a permission slip from our oppressors to stop their oppression. Now, we have existing checks and balances and uh, reciprocal checks and balances in place. Let's see how they play out. Going to be right back. Stick with us. From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common. But after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Not everyone is a morning person, and that's okay. At Burger King, we let you be you and have your morning your way. With a variety of menu items made just for you, satisfy any craving on any morning. Feeling savory today? How about a croissant sandwich? Sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant. Perfect with hot or iced coffee. Is bacon more your thing? We do that too. Try a bacon, egg, and cheese croissant sandwich with crispy bacon, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant. Try it with an ice cold Coke. Or maybe you're craving something sweet. Then French toast sticks are sure to satisfy. Golden brown, piping hot, and perfect for dipping in a side of sweet syrup. Pair it with a simply orange juice. Why not? It's your morning. Complete your breakfast combo meal with hash browns and a beverage of your choice. Have your breakfast your way. Because morning person or not, you rule. At participating U.S. Burger King restaurants, sponsored by Coca-Cola. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play in puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries, from healthcare and manufacturing 
to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Blowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. We know this is because at the first hearing, the chairman claimed that big government and big tech colluded to shape and mold the narrative and suppress information and censor Americans. This is a false narrative. We're engaging in false narratives here, and we are going to tell the truth. I yield back. Gentlelady uh, yields back. I would just point out that we offered your staff also the opportunity to review the FTC letters. You have not come over to review those letters. I believe both of these individuals who are getting ready to testify, I believe they're both Democrats. I don't think they're here to help us politically. I think they're here to tell us the truth. And oh, by the way, the first FTC letter to Twitter after the first set of Twitter files, the very first question was, who are the journalists you're talking to? And you guys don't care. Transparency, you don't want that. And you don't want two journalists who have been named personally by the Biden administration, FTC, in a letter. The Biden administration. And you're saying is they're here the to help FTC. us. They're here to tell their story. And frankly, I think they're brave individuals for being willing to come after they've been named in a letter from the Biden FTC. Yeah, the FTC is is the Biden FTC. They're under the the executive branch, and uh, Congresswoman Stacey Plaskett uh, needs to expand her mind because right now it is about as narrow as a string. It's just unfortunate. Every year is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. You were listening uh, to Stacey Plaskett at first, Democrat out of Virgin Island, Island saying that uh, the Democrats will tell the truth while Republicans are trying to fabricate a narrative. Uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, this all, by the way, just to catch people up in case they're just uh, joining us, you have these Twitter files uh, reporters, Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger, and these guys handily neutralized uh, the Democrats on the um, House subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government, handily neutralized these Democrats who are, in fact, clumsily trying to vilify their witness testimony that that was actually quite uh, effective at exposing left-wing government censorship. Uh, and, and we're talking about uh, everything ranging from the Hunter Biden laptop uh, story suppression to COVID-19 protocols that were wrong all along. And if anybody objected, they were canceled and, and censored. And you basically had a tag-teaming relationship going on between the government and the Election Integrity Project and therefore offshoots 
wherein they were provided tickets, quote-unquote, if you will, that allowed uh, operatives in government to go ahead and lobby uh, big tech to essentially quash all all counter-narratives to their own. Now, the government, by the way, has every right to push their own narratives. What they don't have the right to ever do is work to counter the expression of counter-narratives. They don't get to crush dissent. They don't get to violate the First Amendment either directly or by proxy. That's not an out clause. Otherwise, the whole Constitution is meaningless. I mean, what, you're going to tell me the government can only violate our, our protections under the Bill of Rights, providing they do so by a third party? I mean, by that measure, we have no Constitution. So please, denotatively or connotatively, unless language is no longer tethered to the meanings of the words that comprise it, Government is not permitted to violate our protections under the Bill of Rights in the Constitution of the United States. Can't be done, which means they need to back the F off of our First Amendment or face a reprisal that they cannot handle. There's 400 million guns in this country, and trust me, the vast majority of them are not owned by the gun-controlling left. Nobody wants to get there. Nobody in their right mind wants to see a civil war. But we do not need a permission slip from our oppressors to stop their oppression. If aggregate government, I mean, if we have a, a breaking down of our checks and balances and our reciprocal checks and balances to the point where a political party dominates all three branches to the point where they think they can, under the trappings of officialdom, transcend the very document from which their powers are derived and to which they're each subordinate, well, then it is Katie by the door. And, yes, we do have the right to pick up arms against them. We do have the right to engage in that Second Amendment option. And that Second Amendment option exists for real. It's not pretend. (laughs) Okay? It's not pretend. That Second Amendment option against tyrannical government, you know, to ensure what's, quote, necessary to the security of a free state, unquote, it's in the Second Amendment. I mean, how much more tyrannical does, does the DOJ and FBI have to become before that might happen? Please, government, get your defecation consolidated and back the F off before it's too late. You don't get to say, oh, because we're violating the Constitution under the trappings of officialdom that we're permitted to do so? Are you out of your minds? Wake up fast before somebody drops the mother of all alarm clocks on your collective head. This is getting very serious. Anyway, without further ado, we have assisting in the opining and analyzing Gordon Knight, owner of PS Knight, a publisher of electrical guidebooks. He's author of Deep Six Diaries, um, and he's here to chat with us about the released footage of January 6th showing Capitol officers uh, escorting Q uh, a shaman uh, around. He, he knows about government abuse firsthand after Canada claimed to own the copyright on its laws, meaning you can't cite laws in your publications, which is ridiculous. Uh, they did that to put him out of business after his electrical guidebooks apparently outsold official Canadian government ones. So he has uh, some uh, objective views to offer us on this day. Gordon Knight, good to have you on board. How are you today? Very good. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, Alan. And, you know, I love that intro that you did there. on Huge rant on government getting overreach in these areas of speech. 
And I can just sort of tag into that, if I may. Right we published a book on this. Uh, on this, We just published last, late last year in November called Deep Six Diaries. And it really was the story of my 11 years of trying to defend my small family business from the sort of the tyranny that we're seeing from the civil service in both Canada and the United States. And, you know, the moment I released that, uh, the government obviously did not want that out. They didn't want uh, Americans in particular to find out that the Canadian government was involved on U.S. soil counter to law. And so they proceeded to ban the book. So they went uh, how they did that, incidentally, is they, they put out a letter through uh, their general counsel, exter- external counsel for the government, to the credit card companies in the United States telling them that I was guilty of money laundering. Now, look, Alan, I, I sell electrical books. I, I don't do anything in finance at all. Now, hold, i gotta ask, that, I got to ask you to pause right there. I, I, I know yeah. you're, 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 you're armed for bear, and that's good, but I have to, just for the audience's own edification. Yeah. On uh, How were they able to... How were they able to tether those assertions to any measurable standards of accountability in dialogue and debate? How were they able to link those claims to their required foundational merits? Or what, what did they pass off as such an attempt? Tell us. Absolutely nothing. Uh, and I think you're, with respect, Alan, I think you're making an assumption that is inaccurate because the government believes, this is their perspective, not mine, I'm not defending this, but they don't think they have to predicate anything on facts or evidence. So they made the assertion by way of a letter, and you don't know how perverse this is, I, the subject of that letter, was not allowed a copy of it. And to this date, I have not seen the letter. I've just been informed by the banks, that I won't drop the name of the bank, but the bank that I deal with in the U.S. advising me that they've been informed I was money laundering, and that's all they needed. They informed me, it's just one letter, there's no evidence for it, it does, there isn't any. But I'll tell you, Alan... On the basis how of does, that, I have to ask you, how does, how does accusation carry the weight of adjudication? I mean, by that case, measure, a, a government can just point the finger, say you're guilty, and that's it. No, no, no process is required in, in any way, shape, or form. How are they able to get away with this? Because they're the government. It's, it, look, Alan, it's the exercise of raw power, all right? That's what it comes down to. In this case, they actually went into my bank accounts, my corporate accounts in the U.S., and lifted $25,000 out in punishment for money laundering. Now, that's without any evidence, without any trial, without any hearing, without any defense, and without advising me it happened. I found out about this when my balance went down. Where did the money go after it was taken from you? Well, it, went, it was the credit card companies that pulled it on the instructions of the government. So I assume it's in the Treasury somewhere, but again, I'm not allowed to have any documentation on it. Now, this, I thought Alan, in, Can- Wait a minute. in Canada, you're a Canadian, yes? Yes, I am. Now, in Canada, you have a representative government, wherein leaders rule by the consent <laughs> of the governed. Now, that being the case, surely you have processes for redress, yes? Yes. Uh, keep in mind, I'm actually in the U.S. right now. I mean, I'm based in Texas. But the only redress I would have would be to file in court against the credit card companies to secure whatever letter they received and then try to convince them that I wasn't money laundering. That takes money which is likely why they seized the 25 grand, so that I wouldn't have the resources to pursue it. And just so you know, Alan, about a week and a half after they seized the 25 grand, they reached in and took another 25 grand on the same basis. That cleared me out. They took it out of your American bank account? Yes, American banks and American bank accounts. Look, the bottom line here is that the civil service in both countries work together. So being in the U.S. isn't a protection. 
Well, I am so very, very sorry for the hardship you to which you've been subjected. <laughs> um, uh, we look forward to having you back on real soon. Uh, I'm just flabbergasted to hear this. I'm saddened to hear it. Um, but um, I do know that in this country, the government just can't unilaterally take it from you. I mean, it sounds to me like they were doing so as as a pressure from a foreign government. we got to hear more on this upon uh, some later date. Folks, stick with us. Going to be right back. In December, LastPass, a popular app for managing passwords, suffered a security breach, potentially exposing millions of people's personal information. When a business created to protect passwords gets hacked, it's a reminder how vulnerable our sensitive information can be when stored in the cloud. And for businesses who need to protect data, security is a top concern. To help prevent security risks, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud recently introduced a password manager, JumpCloud's Antoine Jabara. Businesses cannot always rely on an offline solution as users need to share and access passwords across multiple devices. And cloud-based options aren't ideal either. JumpCloud Password Manager takes a hybrid approach, storing data on users' devices and seamlessly syncs user vaults to multiple devices in an end-to-end encrypted way. This addresses some of the limitations of cloud-based systems and bridges the gap between convenience and security. To learn more, visit jumpcloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you want to support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes, their age, the way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. 
The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year, remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank you for joining me and supporting Paralyzed Veterans of America. Our vets need you. I'm a quadriplegic. I'm definitely at risk with my diminished lung capacity. I have MS. I'm in a wheelchair, and I can't leave the house because I have a compromised immune system. I'm very concerned about would there be a bed for me? Would there be a ventilator for me? Would I be able to survive something? It's, it's just heavy. You know, it's, it's a heavy... It's a heavy moment. This is a war. This really is. Our veterans fought for us. Let's fight for them. I am so grateful for the PVA. They're making sure that we have all of the food and supplies that we need right now. We all got to help each other right now. We can't get through this by ourselves. It's with profound gratitude that you're going to be saving our lives. To find out how you can help, please go to helppva.org. That's H-E-L-P-P-V-A dot org. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Every year is Alan Nathan, the Militant Moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left-right, black-white, two-dimensional approach. Delighted you could be with us. Well, uh, Twitter files reporters Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger handily neutralized Democrats who were clumsily trying to vilify their witness testimony, testimony that was exposing left-wing government censorship. Uh, this all happened during the latest House subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government. An ouchy moment, to say the least. Uh, assisting in the housing, in the, uh, <laughs> in the housing, assisting in the uh, uh, opining department, we have uh, old friend of the show, Joseph Vasquez, assistant editor of the Media Research Center's Free Speech America and MRC Business. Uh, he's here to chat with us about the House Judiciary hearing, exposing government colluding with big tech to censor Americans. Joseph, good to have you back as always. How are you today? Hey, Alan, thanks for having me back. Oh, boy, a bunch to talk about. <laughs> oh, my God, it just doesn't get any richer than this, does it? It just doesn't get any richer than this. Um, your take on what it is we witness. You know, actually, I tell you what, before I get that from you, let me go ahead and uh, share a couple of clips first. I'm going to do them back to back. Then I want your comment. First, setting it up, we have Congresswoman Maxine Hegman, Republican out of Wyoming. She's asking Matt uh, Taibbi uh, how many FBI requests uh, to Twitter for censorship were actually based on tweets violating Twitter's supposed terms of, of service. Uh, then um, after that, I want you to hear uh, Representative Stacey Plaskett uh, accusing the journalists uh, responsible for publishing these Twitter files of being somehow a threat to anybody who opposed them. Uh, again, characterizing um, government accountability as somehow being more inappropriate than government's shirking of it. Clips two and then three. James, if you please. 
What was the approximate percentage of the FBI requests to Twitter being based on the justification that the tweet violated the company's terms of service? That was a standard disclosure or a standard disclaimer in almost all the communications from the FBI to Twitter. What do you make of the finding that the FBI found it its responsibility to police violation of a private company's terms of service as a priority over policing violations of U.S. federal law? There there were a couple of very telling emails that we published. Uh, One was by the, uh, a lawyer named Sasha Cardiel, where the company was being so overwhelmed by requests from the FBI. And in fact, they gave each other a sort of digital high five after one batch, saying that was a monumental undertaking to clear all of these. But she noted that, that she believed that, that the FBI was essentially creating, doing word searches keyed to Twitter's terms of service looking for violations of terms of service, specifically so that they could make recommendations along those lines. I'm not exaggerating when when I say that you have called before you two witnesses who pose a direct threat to people who oppose them. It's funny when people have to go through that. Exactly. This is unacceptable. I'm ready for it. I don't know if a lot of other people are. But just as it was unacceptable for Kevin McCarthy to provide 41,000 hours of sensitive security footage to a biased talking head in an effort to rewrite what happened on January 6th. This is a new Republican playbook, apparently. Risk American safety and security to score political points. The gentlelady's words should be struck. We do not accuse witnesses of threatening others. That is out of line and outside the rules of this committee. You don't get to determine what's struck down. You don't get to determine what's struck down. <laughs> Stacey Plaska, I will not strike it down. It's not up to you, lady. <laughs> get back in your corner. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you I mean, believe no, no, these no. people? I mean, when, when Plaska called them so-called journalists, I almost fell out of my seat. <laughs> I mean, Taibi, Taibi, you know, like we used to, we used to, you know, write him up for things, you know, for left-wing journalism here at the Media Research Center years ago. But everyone knew he was a journalist. This guy... This guy's written books and even has to point it, point it out that he's won awards for journalism. But they're so-called journalists. <laughs> and he called them public scribes of Elon Musk. I mean, no, nothing more is a, is a joke. We literally exist as a media, as the media research center because the main, the, the main media, the liberal media left, has been doing the bidding of, of, of the Democrats in Washington for years. That's why we exist, so we can call them out on it. <laughs> Well, and it should be understood, Taibbi used to be with the Rolling Stones, for God's sakes. <laughs> right, not the band, the magazine, obviously. I mean, you know, he was with Rolling Stone magazine. And uh, this guy, if anything, I mean, he's always, he was always inclined to, let's say, take Trump to task, as was Schellenberger. These guys are not shills. These guys have, have in the past been embraced by the left for their journalism, at least when it was commensurate with uh, an, a, a preferred agenda they might have. They just don't like it when their own are exposed for nefarious conduct, it's like they can give it but can't take it, or is that too uh, simple of a, uh, of a truncating? No, you're, you're right over the mark. I mean, you, you know, the funny thing is, is that they used to get on President Donald Trump's case because he would criticize the media a lot. Oh, this is an attack on our First Amendment. Meanwhile, what we watched yesterday was, was, was uh, Democratic members of trying to pressure the journalists to disclose their sources. Oh, I know. <laughs> when did Trump, when did Musk uh, talk to you, and when did he try... Well, first of all, I can't. I will neither confirm nor deny that Musk was anybody who tried to contact us. And when you start asking me about dates, this is Matt Taibbi saying uh, that's tantamount to knowing about sources. Look, 
I'm a former <laughs> national television correspondent. I worked for the Pulitzer, the late great Pulitzer Prize winning uh, Jack Anderson. I have a passing familiarity with the First Amendment. All right, and this lady demonstrated all the cerebral dexterity of a napkin. I mean, oh my God, to actually get indignant because uh, you know folks weren't forking over information about their sources. This is just a, an astonishing display of stone-cold ignorance, is it not? Oh, no. I mean, no, absolutely. I mean, the fact, I mean, you know, they wave around the Constitution when it suits them. I mean, that's what they wielded against Trump whenever he uh, criticized the media. But then when the shoe's on the other foot, oh, no, we want to know who your sources are. <laughs> and here's the thing. <laughs> it's a perfectly, what. <laughs> and it's perfectly constitutional to be critical of the media. What's not constitutional is to demand that the media release its sources. So Trump, and again, I'm a DeSantis fan more than I am Trump, but Trump being critical of the media is within the Constitution. Somebody <laughs> trying to order the media to fork up sources with the leverage of government is not covered by the Constitution. So she needs to increase her grasp of the very document she waves apparently with little knowledge of the pages she's fluttering about. <laughs> I mean, for goodness sakes, I mean, we just found out that the Federal Trade Commission was actually pressuring Twitter to, quote, identify all journalists, uh, journalists who are granted access to the, to the files. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, give me a break. I mean, this is, this is basic Constitution 101 stuff. I mean, but then we're, we're, supposed to, we're supposed to believe that Trump and company and others, oh, they, they threaten journalists. But come on, the whole thing is a sham, a joke. I know. And, and the idea that the FTC chair, the Federal Trade Committee uh, Commission chair, Lena Khan, would demand Twitter turn over the journalists behind the popular Twitter files, you know, the ones exposing government lobbying for censorship, and to also explain why it fired FBI lawyer Jim Baker as its Deputy General Counsel. I mean, is this crap stain that ignorant of the First Amendment? I mean, clearly. Lena Khan, what a joke. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.